Take your word, turn to John chapter 1 with me. If you want to use the Pew Bible, page 886 to get us started. There will be three passages this morning. John 1, John 8, John 15. Jesus is the word, and then catch the word abide through the rest of the passages. John chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John eight thirty one. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, You will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly. Truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. John chapter 15. I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may be more fruitful. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Hear that one more time. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is God's word. Well, good morning again, church. Exploring Christianity has been our summer series, and when we kicked this off a while back, I I said, it's really kind of more like exploring Christ. To know Christianity and to understand Christianity is hopefully, even more importantly, to know Jesus Christ. 
And hopefully we're going to do that with today's topic as well. Today we're going to be looking at Christianity and the Bible. Christianity and the Bible. I remember as a kid my dad's Bible. I still have it. I actually meant to grab it and I totally forgot this morning. It's on my shelf over in my office at Gyra Place. Uh, My dad passed away a few years ago, but um, his Bible is still in its original box on my shelf. And I remember it just being marked up, highlighted, notes in the margins. And I remember as a kid when I would kind of like sneak a peek at his Bible, just being amazed at like, wow, is it really possible to, to know this book and to love this book so much and to, and to want to understand it as much as he did? And I have six brothers and sisters, so uh, when my dad passed away, the, the one thing I made sure I grabbed before anybody else could get their hands on it was his Bible. And like I said, I still have his Bible tattered and beat up and pages literally ripping out, but he just kind of stuck with that Bible his whole adult life as far as I know. You know, in the book of Psalm, uh, chapter 19, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. And then he goes on to say, more to be desired are they than gold, than much fine gold. Do you Do you think that way about this book? That this is more valuable than a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, a million dollars. In keeping of them is great reward. Do you believe that? You know, Christians actually believe that. Most of them, right? We would say we believe that. If you're here today, watching today, maybe you're exploring Christianity, and one of your big roadblocks is this book. Well, we're going to try to talk about that today. Christians believe that this book should saturate our lives. If you've been watching this church service this morning, and you have, uh, you have seen the Word of God saturate this church service, haven't you? We have sung the Bible. Maybe you didn't know that. But a lot of the lyrics to the songs we sing are straight from the Word of God, aren't they? Where else would we go, Lord? You have the words of life, John chapter 6. We've prayed the Word. We've read the Word. We've read the Word of God three times already in this service. Our church covenant says that the Word of God is our final authority in faith and practice. We stake our lives on this book, don't we? When Jeff got done reading, lately, for the last few years, we've been saying, this is God's Word, or this is the Word of God when we finish reading it. Why do we do that? It's to remind our hearts that this isn't just some book. It's God's Word. God Almighty, the creator of the universe, speaks to us. If you haven't already, get to John. 
Ironically, in this sermon, I'm going to talk a lot about the Bible for a while before we dig into the Bible. But eventually we're going to get there. We're going to get to John's gospel. But my first lesson this morning is the Bible is an amazing book. The Bible is an amazing book. If you're watching this and you say, why should I care about the Bible? Why should I give the Bible the time of day? Why should I crack open a Bible? Here's why. Because the Bible is an amazing book, and it's worth your consideration. There's no other book like it in the world. Did you know that the Bible was written by 40 different authors over the course of 1,500 years? in three different languages and on three different continents. When's the last time you saw 40 people agree on anything? Right? Someone posts something on Facebook, within four comments, you've got disagreement. Right? Here we've got 40 authors all agreeing. The Quran was written by one man recording his singular visions. The Book of Mormon was written by one man recording his singular visions. This is a book written by 40 authors, everyone from kings to fishermen. Prophecies find their fulfillment in this book. The prophecies of this book, literally hundreds and hundreds of prophecies have been fulfilled. It's unlike any other book. The odds of the prophecies about Jesus Christ alone coming true is something like one with 2,000 zeros after it, that they could all come true exactly the way they've come true. That alone should make you say, hmm, there's something going on with that book. No archaeological discovery has ever contradicted this book. While I was on vacation a couple weeks ago, uh, I read that they just found a jar in Israel with Gideon's name on it. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. First time in antiquity that they found another source other than the Bible with his name on it. And it's from the same place and the same time period as him. Hmm, that's interesting. For years, King David didn't exist, but then they found an inscription referencing the house of David. Over and over, I could, I could literally quote thousands of examples like that of how archaeology has shown that the Bible is true. But even more important than all of that, the Bible has personally impacted millions of people. It, cha it has changed lives. It is transforming lives. In 2019, Barna did a, did a study they called the State of the Bible, <laughs> their State of the Bible study. And in America, 43% of Americans say that their life is impacted by the Bible. 43% of Americans say that their life is somehow impacted by the Bible. And I would say it's even higher than that if you consider the societal impacts of the Bible. I made this argument a few weeks ago when I preached on freedom. I'll make the same argument again. Do you love freedom? Do you love the idea of human rights? Do you love the idea of women's rights? That, that, that as the Taliban rides through Afghanistan, they shouldn't oppress women? Do you, do you agree with that idea? Of course you do. Do you agree with the idea that uh, we should love our neighbor, love our enemies, and, and be kind? If you agree with all of that, it's because of this book. 
Bottom line, all of those concepts are from this book and this book alone. Without this book, those big ideas don't exist. They didn't exist in Rome when Jesus was alive until Jesus came along and said things like, love your neighbor, love your enemy. But mostly it's an amazing book because the Bible is one big story. The Bible is the story of creation, fall, and redemption. It starts with the creation of the world, Genesis 1 and 2, and then it moves into the fall of man and how man sinned, sinned against God. And that's, we're done with that by chapter 3 of Genesis. And then, folks, did you know that the next, you know, 900,000 pages of your Bible is redemption? God saving us. God chasing us securing us, sending His Son to rescue us. That's the story of the Bible. And so when we look at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we can track themes in the Bible, can't we? Two themes this morning, you know, that Jeff said when he was reading, abide and word. Abide and word. Think about the theme of abiding or dwelling. Creation, God creates the earth, a garden, Adam and Eve in it. Why? What's the purpose of that? So that God can abide or dwell with man. And it's all great for two chapters, isn't it? They're, they're having a grand time. But then they sin against God, don't they? They decide to go their own way. They decide to reject God. And so Genesis 3 tells us that God moves them out of the dwelling of the garden, doesn't he? God says you have to leave the garden. You don't get to abide there anymore. But God doesn't give up on them. He still wants to live with them. And so the rest of the Bible is God living with man. He calls Abraham out of Ur and says, I'm going to give you a promised land, and you're going to live in that land, and I'm going to live with you in that land. And if you fast forward through your Bible, eventually God says, build me a tent, Y'all live in tents? Build me a tent. And, and if you've been to Sunday school, you know that's called the tabernacle. And God lived in a tent. And then later on, that tent became a building, the temple. And God lived among his people, didn't he? They continued to sin, but God continued to want to abide with them. And then ultimately, God came in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the God-man. And he lived among us. He dwelt among us. He abode with us. He made his abode with us. And now the church. We read this last week. What? Don't you know that your body is the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit? And so all through this book, 1,500 years, 40 different authors, we can trace that one theme, can't we? We can trace the theme of the Word of God. The Bible starts with the Word of God, doesn't it? And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, let there be plants. Let there be animals. God is speaking. It's his word. It's his word. It's his word. But then in Genesis 3, they don't listen to his word, do they? They reject his word. But then God shows up and he speaks again, doesn't he? He speaks again. And he speaks a promise over Adam and Eve. This isn't the end. This isn't the end. 
My offspring's going to come. The offspring of the woman's going to come, and she's going to crush the enemy. He speaks a prophecy, doesn't he, over them. And then the rest of the Bible is God continuing to not just live with us, but talk to us, isn't it? He talks, and he talks, and he talks, and he talks, and he talks through Moses, and he talks through David, and he talks through Isaiah, and he talks through Ezekiel, and he talks to us. And then he comes as Jesus, and Jesus talks, doesn't he? But Jesus also lives, because he's the living word. And what do we do now? Every Sunday, we talk. (laughs) We get together and we talk. We speak the word, we sing the word, we pray the word together. That's a theme throughout the whole Bible that we can track. Maybe you're here this morning and you critique the Bible. You try to find all these contradictions and mistakes. I would encourage you, see the big story of the Bible. You know, if if I told you that in the Lord of the Rings movie there's a scene with Sam and Frodo, and if you look really close in the background, you can see a car driving. Now, if I told you that, would that ruin the whole trilogy for you? Would you give up on those great movies because there's a little mistake in them? Some sort of contradiction that you can't figure out? No, you'd say, no, they're still great movies. Why? Because you look at the big picture of the movies. Listen, there's no mistakes in your Bible. There's not contradictions in your Bible. And you can nitpick things here and there. And I would say, look, take a step back and ask yourself, what's the big story? Don't miss the big story just because... This number in this book of the Bible and this, this number in this book of the Bible don't match up or, or something silly like that. Maybe you're here today and you only see the Bible as a bunch of rules, regulations, God pushing his thumb down on us. Don't miss the story of God's love. Don't miss the story of Jesus in this book. Don't be like the Pharisees in Jesus' day who turned the whole Bible into just a story of being good, being better, being self-righteous. And in John 5, Jesus looks at them and he says, yeah, you know the Scriptures, but you don't know me. Some of you might know the Bible, but you don't know Jesus because you've missed the big story of the Bible. Why not the Bible? Why not the Bible? Some of you might say, the Bible's ancient. It's, it's so old. What would it possibly even have for me? And to that I would say, hey, just beware of cultural elitism. Just because something's ancient doesn't mean it's worse. Don't be a snob, right? Some of you might say, Uh, Well, the Bible is so absolute. You Christians are so absolute. It's so exclusionary. You think it's the only truth. I think there's lots of truths. I think lots of things can be true. There's There's no absolute truth. And to that I would say, be careful of a logical fallacy. As soon as you say the only, as soon as you say there are no absolute truths, you are stating an absolute truth. Do you hear it? There are no absolute truths. You just stated an absolute truth. So obviously you believe there's absolute truths. Is it possible that there is an absolute truth? 
Yeah, there is. Is it possible that a good and gracious God would give us those absolute truths? Yeah, that's possible. And I would just challenge, challenge you to think through, I would just lovingly challenge you, maybe you're rejecting the Bible not just because of logical reasons or discrepancies or something like that. Maybe you're actually rejecting the Bible because you just don't want its authority over your life. That's why Adam and Eve rejected the Word of God. Did God really say, is that really what's best for you? And so it's actually a rejection of a king. It's the rejection of somebody telling you what to do. And I get it. None of us like people telling us what to do. But this book is written by a God who loves us. And when he tells us what to do, it will save our souls. It will save our lives. Number two, the Bible is God's word. The Bible is God's word. All throughout the Bible, it says, the word of the Lord came, the word of the Lord came, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to this prophet, that prophet. The word of the Lord is coming to dwell with us. It's coming from the Father through the agency of the Holy Spirit to manifest the truths of the Son. We read it, Pastor Andrew read it, that this book is, the word of God is inspired. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, it says. That means it's God-breathed. It comes from His mouth. It flows from Him. I want to show you a picture that maybe can help us understand this. So here we're going to talk about the Old Testament, the Gospels, and the Epistles in our Bible. The Old Testament shows us the two words of God. God speaks to us in the Old Testament through two words, the word of law and the word of grace, or the word of gospel, if you will. The word of law and the word of grace. God's word of law says that there's a perfect righteous standard that you have to meet. So the Ten Commandments, have you heard of the Ten Commandments? Most people have heard of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, that's God's word of law. Or love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That's law. So sometimes God speaks in law. Other times God speaks in grace or in gospel, if you will. Okay? Now, one of the big things over the years that has been very confusing to people, in fact, major heresies have popped up because people read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, and they say, they look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, and they say, oh, there's two different gods. There's the Old Testament God. There was this guy named Marcion hundreds and thousands of years ago, and he said, there's two gods. There's the Old Testament angry God, and there's the New Testament loving and kind and gentle God. There aren't two gods. If I asked you, have you ever read the Bible and been a little bit confused because sometimes it seems like God's saying this and other times it seems like God's saying the exact opposite, we would all raise our hands to that, wouldn't we? But here's what we have to learn how to do. We have to learn how to discern between His Word of law and His Word of grace. There's not two different gods, but there are two different words. Are you with me? So, God will say, um, if someone commits adultery, stone them to death. 
Is that the word of law or the word of grace? That's law. That's the word of, that's the word of law. But then King David commits adultery, doesn't he? And murder. Did he get stoned to death? No. In fact, in Psalm 32, he says, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. The word of grace. We did Ruth a few months ago, the book of Ruth. The law says, no Moabites allowed. No Moabites in the Israelite community. And then we read the book of Ruth, and here comes this Moabitess who is welcomed into the community by Boaz. The word of law, the word of grace. And you say, well, God's contradicting himself. No, God's not contradicting himself. He's showing us that there is a law that everybody has to live up to, but there's also grace that will do it for us, that will live up to it for us. It's a, it's a preview of Jesus. See how, see how in our diagram as we move to, towards the center, we move towards Christ, towards Christ. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. So now let's move to the Gospels on our picture. The Gospels. The Old Testament, the Word of God, the Gospels, Jesus the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God's Word, His Logos. Jesus is God's Word. Well, what does God's Word do? It creates it illuminates, it teaches, it guides. Jesus does all those things, doesn't he? He creates, he illuminates, he teaches, he guides us. God speaks to us through the person of Jesus. John 1.1 is, is mind-blowing. It, it's revolutionary to say that the Word of God is a person. No, no, that doesn't, a human being can't be the Word of God. That would, have been, that, would have, that would have shocked both Jew and Greek. And yet, this is what we believe as Christians, isn't it? That God's final Word is Jesus. What do words do? Words change us, don't they? Have any of you ever been transformed by a word? Pro or con? When I was in junior high school, I, I loved basketball. I spent a lot of time playing basketball. Thought I was good. <laughs> I was actually the best one on my team in middle school. I averaged over 20 points a game. And one day in the locker room in front of all the other players, we were getting beat. It was halftime. We were getting beat bad. And the coach stood up and, and he said something like this. And it's been however many years and I still remember it. And he said something like, you know, all of you guys are playing terrible. The only one who's playing hard is Walcott, but, he'll, but he's a step too slow and a foot too short to ever be any good. <laughs> he said that in front of everybody else. Guess what happened to me and my love for basketball? It went away. Because I, I was never going to really be good. Maybe some of you have heard a word from a parent, something even more serious than what I heard that day. Or maybe some of you have never heard words, right? You've never heard good job. You've never heard I'm proud of you. Words are powerful, aren't they? 
We all know that. Words are what make us. Words are what give us our identity. We don't generate that. It has to be spoken over us from the outside in. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is God's word from the outside in. It invades us. It's spoken to us through a person, through a life, through a human being who lived and did it perfectly. Now remember, the Old Testament is law and grace, law and grace. In John 1 verse 14, it says that Jesus came to us in grace and in truth. In other words, in grace and in law, in grace and in truth, Jesus came to us as the perfection of the law, and he came to us in our place as grace. Jesus came to us saying, look at, look at the cross, everybody. The cross screams two things at you. It screams, you're so bad you needed God to die. And it also screams, you're so loved, God did die. Law and grace. Law and grace. That's Jesus. John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, the verses we read, in John 8.31, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So in John 1, Jesus is the word who came and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And now in John 8, Jesus says, hey, do you want to be my disciple? Then abide, live in my word. First first of all, Jesus is equating himself with God, isn't he? He's equating himself with God. He doesn't say abide in the word of God. He says abide in my word. You want to live? Listen to me. Live in my word. And then in verse 37, he flips it and says, you seek to kill me, you hate me because my word is not in you. My word is not in you. So Jesus is setting, in John 8, he sets up for us this relationship where we are in the word of Jesus and the word of Jesus is in us. We are in the word of Jesus, the word of Jesus is in us. It's a relationship with his word. And then we go to John 15. And in John 15, we see Jesus take us even deeper, even deeper, where he starts to equate the word with himself. We should see it coming because we read John 1.1. In John 1.1, John gave us the ultimate spoiler. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. Hint, hint, look for that in the rest of my book. In John 15, Jesus is going to say it out of his own mouth. He's going to say this isn't just about words. You see, when when people speak words over you, what happens? You live up to them or you live down to them, right? Right? If the the teacher says, hey, I, I know you're struggling with the math concept. You can do it. I'm going to help you. You can do it. Yeah, I can do it. And you live up to it and you learn algebra. But if the teacher stands up in front of the class and says, you are the worst group of students I've ever had. You're never going to learn this concept. What happens to those kids? They all flunk, right? Unless they have some other motivation in their lives. But given no other motivations, they're probably going to be like, well, I know I'm a loser. 
Words cause us to respond to either live up or live down to those words. This is why the Word of God has to be more than just words. Stay with me. I'm getting, I'm getting deep. If it's just words, if it's just Jesus showing up and saying things, then where does that leave us? We have to live up to it. And do any of us live up to it? No. But what if the Word is actually another human being who will do it for us? Do we have to live up to it now? Or do we just have to receive the Word? We just have to receive the Word. We just have to trust the Word by faith. Do you see it? That's the difference. So Jesus comes to us in John 15, and He starts using this language where He starts saying, it's, it's my Word, it's my commandments, but it's also me. It's also me. In verse 3, in John 15, 3, He says that His Word has cleansed them. His Word has cleansed them. So He's already spoken the cleansing Word to them. And then verse 4, abide in me and I in you. Abide in me? Wait, I thought we were supposed to abide in His Word and His Word abide in us. Now Jesus is saying, abide in me? Yes, abide in me. Abide in my person. Abide in what I have done. Because I abide in you. As I have abided in you, you abide in me. Verse 5, whoever abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, they are thrown away. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. See what he's doing? He's equating himself to the word. Abide in me equals abide in his word. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So now we're not just, now we're abiding in the person of Jesus and he's a loving person. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And of course, what's his commandment? To love, to love. Verse 13, this is the new commandment I give you is to love. Wow, what, the, what in the, Brady, what in the world does all of this mean? It means that Jesus is calling us to understand this progression. God spoke to us in law and gospel. Law saying there's a standard that you can't live up to, but I'm going to rescue you. I'm coming. I'm going to rescue you. And then comes Jesus, and he says, I am that word. I am the law fulfilled. I am grace fulfilled. So abide in me, and you are righteous as concerns the law. You, your life will be uh, pure and holy as concerns the law through me. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Abide in that Word. Abide in me as the Word of God. And then how do we know that we are abiding in Jesus and Jesus is abiding in us? Love. Love. Because love abides in us. We love because He first loved us. 1 John 3.23 John says this in his epistle, not his gospel, but in his epistle that he wrote later. 
And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. This is his commandment. What are Jesus' commandments to us? Believe in the name of Jesus and love one another. Believe in the name of Jesus and love one another. Abide in him and then let him flow out of you in love. This is the word of God. This is, this is God's word in our lives. Of course, after Jesus taught this in John 15, he went on to the cross, didn't he? He died on the cross for us, and then he rose from the dead. And in doing that, he fulfilled his mission as the Christ. Jesus, the man, became the Christ. He fulfilled his mission as the Christ. He was exalted as the Christ. And so in the epistles, the word of Christ let the word of Christ, we read that too, we, we read that a little bit earlier, Colossians three sixteen. let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. Let the word of Christ, the word of God, law and gospel, becomes the word of Christ. It is finished. It is done. I have finished it. I have done it. This is the word of Christ that now abides in us. We let it abide in us. Gospel truths, new covenant truths, that we have the new heart, that we have complete forgiveness, that God dwells in us, that we are united with Christ, that we have eternal salvation, that we have every blessing in Christ, that we have the ability to love even our enemies, that we have peace with God, and the peace of God can flow out of us. This is the word of Christ that is in us. Okay, Brady. That was a lot. Just tell me how to read my Bible. Can you just tell me how to read my Bible, please? Okay, I will. <laughs> I'm going to tell you how to read the Word of God. Number three. Remember in John 8, you in the Word, the Word in you. You in the Word, the Word in you. Position, condition. Position, condition. Our position is that we are in Christ. As Christians, this is our eternal, secure position, our place, that we are in Christ. We abide in Christ, Christ, because Christ abides in us. Christ abides in us. We are in Him. He is in us. This is all of our hope, all of our security, all of our acceptance, all of our transformation. Any hope of change comes from knowing and believing our position in Christ. Okay, but then there's our condition. Because let's just be honest, as Christians, we, we, can, we can know all day and say all day, yep, I'm in Jesus, praise the Lord, and then we go out and we live differently, don't we? We don't always walk in that. That's why Jesus says, I abide in you, now you abide in me. It's both. I abide in you, position, you abide in me, condition. Be in the Word, let the Word dwell in you is our condition. It's what we do. It's our part of the equation. 
Christ is in you, Christian. I don't care. You say, Brady, I haven't read my Bible in four years. You know what I say to that? Christ is in you. Christ is in you. Now get in the Word. (laughs) Now get in the Word so that you can experience Christ in you. You're probably not experiencing Christ in you on a day-to-day basis if you haven't cracked open a Bible in four years, four months, four weeks, four days, right? Does it change your position in Christ? Nope. Does it change your condition as a Christian? Yes. Yes. You're probably, you're probably grouchier. You're, pro- you're probably worrieder. More worried. You're probably angrier. We got to let the Word into our hearts. We got to let ourselves be in the Word, and we got to let the Word into us. In the Word, the Word into us. In the Word, the Word into us. In the Word is easy. The Word into us is a little bit trickier, isn't it? So we meditate on the Word. We focus on the Word. We talk about the Word in community. That's how we let the Word get into us. In the Word is, can you, can you read or listen? Can you push play on the podcast or on the, on the Audible app? Can you push play? Yeah, then you can be in the Word. Can you open a Bible and read it? Then you can be in the Word. Is the Word in you is a different, is a different question, isn't it? Are you letting the Word seize control of your thinking, of your heart? Is it renewing your mind? Is the Word of Christ renewing your mind? Listen, here at Grace, Sunday morning classes, we're going to kick these off uh, in September, and several of them are going to be doing the Gospel Project curriculum. This is a great curriculum for just being in the Word and being in the Word with other Christians. Precept studies kicking off in September. This is a great chance to learn how to study the Word and to, and to meditate on it and to talk about it with other people. Small groups are a great place to read and discuss and apply the Word together. Because listen, if all you're doing is reading the Word on your, on your own at home, my bet is, well, first of all, here's what I know after 14 years of pastoring, most of you aren't even doing that. Because when I ask you, Nine out of ten of you say, nope, I'm not doing that. And if you are opening your Bible at home, my guess is you're in the Word without the Word getting into you very well. You're kind of checking a box, right? I read our daily bread, check. Check my emails. Groups, community, allow us to let the Word get into us. Let's go back to our picture. So, Brady, how do I read the Bible? Listen, if you're reading the Old Testament, if you're reading the Old Testament, first and foremost, practice discerning between the two words of God. Am I reading law right now or am I reading gospel right now? Am I reading law or am I reading grace? And then let it, whatever it is, whatever it is you're reading, let it push you to the center of our picture. Let it push you through Jesus into the gospel of Christ. Okay? Okay? No no doubt, that's hard. (laughs) Right? If you go home tonight and pick up Ezekiel or Leviticus, something, you you know, Obadiah, 
Did you even know there's an Obadiah? There is. If you, if you start there, it's going to be tricky. It's going to be hard. You can do it, but it's going to be hard. If you're reading the Gospels, understand that what Jesus is doing is he's presenting himself as both the fulfillment of the law and the fulfillment of grace. And enjoy that. <laughs> Say, thank you, Jesus, when you read it. And then let the Gospels point you to the Word of Christ, the finished Word of Christ, gospel truths, new covenant promises. And if you start in the center of the picture, if you start with Ephesians or Colossians, yeah, you're there, man. You're there. You're in the Word of Christ. You're, you're at the place where the Christian heart needs to be. If you're here today and you haven't read your Bible in a long time, or maybe you're a new Christian and you're saying, I don't even know where to start. My advice pastorally would be start in the center, read, the, read Ephesians. Ephesians is be a Christian 101. Colossians, Christianity 101. Read those books. Let your mind wrap around the truths of Christ. And then occasionally jump out into the Old Testament and, stuff and, and let it kind of inform you. Okay? I got one other picture for you. We're almost done. How do I read the Bible, Brady? Here's my other picture. This is a classic picture. You've seen it before. This, by the way, this is how we design sermon questions for our small groups here at Grace. Did you know that, that every, like today, this afternoon, one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to go home and I'm going to write sermon questions based on everything I just said, okay? And then when you get together in a small group, you can talk about those questions. And those questions are modeled after this. Our whole church service is modeled after this picture. Number one, we look at how amazing God is. God is holy. God is good. God is perfect. The law can teach us that, can it? The law teaches us the holiness of God. Ten Commandments teaches us. But also, the gospel, the grace parts of the Old Testament teach us the holiness of God. The Gospels teach us the holiness of God. Colossians, Ephesians, Galatians, Romans teaches us the holiness of God. So we start there. We get a glimpse of how amazing God is. And then number two, when we read the second thing we look for in Scripture is we look for how bad we are, our own sinfulness, that we fall short of the glory of God. And we recognize that and we see how the Word of God points that out to us, right? And again, the law points that out to us very clearly. That's the purpose. And Jesus does too. And so does Paul. <laughs> and so does John. <laughs> and so does Jude. And so we've created a gap, haven't we, church? We've created a gap. And listen, every single one of us feels that gap in our daily lives every single day, don't we? God's amazing and I'm not. And so we fill that gap up with something, don't we? Our job our sex life, the amount of money we got, our education, we, fill, we tend to fill that gap, don't we? But here's what the Word of God will do to us. The Word of God will let us fill that gap with the gospel of Jesus Christ, won't it? Won't it? Yeah. The Word of God will show us the cross of Christ so that we can fill that gap with the cross. Fill that gap with the cross. Listen, if you're reading the Word of God and you're getting the gap and you walk away with, I'm going to do better. I'm going to rededicate my life. 
I'm going to stop X, Y, and Z and start A, B, C, and D. If that's your first move, you're not reading the Bible right. Your first takeaway should be, oh my goodness, I'm a train wreck. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And if that's all you walk away from your Bible with every day, well done, good and faithful servant. And if once you embrace the salvation of Jesus, you start to say, yeah, there's things I need to change. There's things I need to change. Well, then praise God. Let's change those things. My prayer for you this morning, maybe you're exploring Christianity, is that you would see that there's a gap in your life. God wants to fill that gap. He doesn't want you to fill it. He has filled it with Jesus Christ. Will you receive him today? Will you turn to the cross of Christ? Not nitpicking the Bible. Stop nitpicking the Bible. See the big story. See the big picture. See God's love for you. See 4,000 years of God chasing us down and finding us in the person of Jesus Christ. Can you do that? Can you turn to him today? I pray that you can. Let's pray. God, we turn to you. Your word endures forever. God, we thank you for the word of law and the word of gospel, the word of grace. Thank you for how both these things teach us who you are, teach us what your holiness is. God, we thank you for Jesus and his words. We thank you for the crazy claims he made, the audacious claims that he made, that he is the word of God. Wow, I don't know that anybody else has ever made that claim. God, would you help us to explore that? Explore the claims of Jesus, the words of Jesus. God, would you land us ultimately on the word of Christ, the Messiah, the hero who saved our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, may your word truly be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.